right, Romans chapter 6. In your Bibles tonight, Romans 6. We'll catch the last few verses of chapter 6, the first few of chapter 7 here in a moment. And uh, good to see you tonight. Good to have Claude and Leslie Neal with us tonight. Uh, they are from Clio, and uh, we first met uh, years ago at a meeting in Corridan. And I've uh, uh, been in touch, and I appreciate uh, their friendship, and they're coming tonight. Good to see everyone here tonight. And a uh, good crowd here tonight. Thank you for being here. Let me mention a couple of books. Uh, last night, uh, we dealt with provision from the first 14 verses of Romans 6, a book that uh, deals with the same truth, but from a different text. It's a text that encapsulates Romans uh, 6, and that is Galatians 2.20. And uh, so the little book called Experiencing Jesus uh, is uh, dealing with what we were looking at last night. And some of those diagrams that you have in your work workbook are also in this book. And so if you have to have a picture to get you through a book, there's a number of diagrams, in fact, quite a bit more in this book than you have in your little uh, workbook uh, uh, tonight. Uh, but it's dealing with that. And uh, some of you uh, may have been here in the meeting when we dealt with the illustration of stay in the basket. That's actually in here. And uh, some of the truths of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 as well on the real you are in that little book. Then the most recent book, uh, new since I was here last, is called Repentance and Faith, Two Sides to One Decision. I love looking at gospel tracts because uh, they're important. God uses them. And but it's fascinating to me sometimes uh, um, uh, how they're worded. In other words, in some, it looks like there's three steps to salvation. In others, it looks like there's two. In others, it looks like there's one. Well, what is it? And I recognize what they're doing in different facets of truth. But when it comes to the way of actually getting saved, the moment of salvation, how many steps is it? You see, if you make repentance and faith two separate um, steps, then you just muddied the waters because one of them has to be works if the other one is faith. So it's really two emphases to one essence, or as we say here, two sides to one coin. We're going into great detail on this. And uh, this one is broken into little chapters. So, hey, I'm trying to learn. Uh, my books are getting smaller and smaller, and the chapters are getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're trying to uh, stay up with the times of uh, bite-sized pieces because of Twitter. But uh, uh, that book is available. If you have any questions, feel free to see me afterwards about it. All right, tonight, Romans chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 15 here in a moment. Uh, I want you to look in your workbook, if you would, please, as a just a quick uh, reminder of what we covered last night. Look at page 5, uh, where we have a diagram there, and then page 6, where there's two more. We noted last night that all believers are saints. All saints are free or freed to live saintly or victoriously because Christ is the victory. We talked about personalizing that and uh, thus yielding to that uh, a new leader who moved in. So we see this pictured on the bottom of page 5. Prior to salvation, God is on the outside. Ephesians words it this way, we're alienated from the life of God. So you see in the picture there, we have the Holy Spirit, we have God on the outside. The concentric, concentric circles there are representing man, his constitution, body, soul, and spirit. And we see the human spirit, they're labeled, as we saw last night in Romans 6, 6, as the old man. And then we have indwelling sin, that old master. Uh, to die to sin, there has to be a union that is broken. So that's what's happening there. Now, the flesh 
would be on the soul and body levels. I didn't bother to deal with that last night. Uh, but flesh is on the uh, soul and body level. There's occasionally some verses in the scripture that use it neutrally. Uh, often it is used negatively uh, because of indwelling sin. But when the Bible says the works of the flesh are manifest in Galatians 5, some of those are body uh, flesh sins like adultery and fornications. Others would be soul like jealousy and envying, and so thus the flesh uh, is the soul body level. So prior to salvation, there are three components on the negative side. There's the old man, that's the unregenerated human spirit, joined to that old sin master in dwelling sin, that's the two entities, and the third component is the turf, the flesh. Then, going to the next page, we saw last night that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're placed into him, his history, and therefore his death, and the cross comes in like a giant knife and cuts right through all those shackles and sets you free from that old sin master. And uh, so there you have it. Uh, and that uh, uh, picture, that's what's taking place to get us to the regenerated condition at the bottom of the page, where now the... There is not a connection. There's not a union with that indwelling sin entity. He's still there on the soul body levels of the flesh. But the old man is gone. He died with Christ and was raised with Christ, the new man. And that's where the Holy Spirit has moved in. So prior to salvation, God was on the outside. We were dead to God, but we were joined to sin, alive to sin. Now it's the other way around. We're dead to sin. We got severed, separated from indwelling sin and raised with Christ that new man. The Holy Spirit has moved in so that we're joined to God. So the old relationship with indwelling sin is forever severed. And the new relationship with the indwelling Christ is forever sealed. Now, after salvation, the negative side of our being is only two components, not three. It used to be old man joined to old master in the turf of the flesh, but the old man, where did he go? He's gone. Forever. You cannot have an unregenerated spirit and a regenerated spirit in the same body. So the old man, the unregenerated spirit, dies with Christ and is raised with Christ in that new creation, the new man, God's seed, God's DNA, uh, the nature of God implanted in you, and then the Holy Spirit moves in to indwell. That is the provision that we saw last night. That's why God calls you a saint. His holy life is in you. His nature is implanted and his spirit indwells. So in a twofold sense, uh, God has moved in and uh, well, there is this uh, opportunity now to access him. Now, we can yield to that old master and the default of that sin master is obviously to, 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 to cave into temptation, but the default of the real you, as we learned Sunday night, is to yield to Jesus. And so uh, that's where we ended last night with that need to yield to Jesus. So at this point in the text, it moves from the foundation truth that we saw last night in the first 14 verses uh, to what I call illustrations of this new relationship. And there's two of them, and they have two different purposes of truth that's getting conveyed. Uh, one is at the end of chapter 6, the other is at the beginning of chapter 7, and that is what we're going to look at tonight. And so we'll deal with these, uh, uh, these illustrations, these blessings of this new relationship that we have with Jesus. So let's pray and let's ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher tonight. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for each one that's come tonight. Now, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give us a grasp, a revelation of truth tonight in a way that helps us to really see the 
power of it all. Lord, open our eyes in a way that though there's a lot of detail in a text like this, help us to see the simple side of it too. And Lord, I pray that faith would be nurtured. And Lord, would you challenge us tonight and show us where we're at in regard to who is our leader and who is our power source. And so, Lord, I plead the blood, protect us tonight from Satan's attack. Lord Jesus, in your name, I claim the victory that you won when you said it is finished. And I exercise your authority for any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight and trust you that that not be allowed. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago when Northwest Airlines was still an airline, how many of you remember Northwest Airlines before they were bought out? Okay, I had, uh, of course, I traveled a good bit, and uh, over time I had accidentally uh, uh, built up enough miles that I got this, uh, this letter in the mail, uh, back before the email days, <laughs> uh, that was telling me that I had arrived at elite status. That really sounded good, I thought. <laughs> and uh, they were telling me all these benefits, you know, and the privileges, and you don't have to stand at the back of the line, and you can come in uh, at the front of the line when they uh, load the plane and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, this is cool. So I got my little card, stuck it in my wallet. Well, it was some weeks later before I had the next flight, and so I'm standing there in line like normal <laughs> at the back. And, uh, uh, you know, finally when I get to the front, I thought, wait a second. I didn't have to do this. <laughs> I could have jumped in at the front with my little car, but I forgot all about it. <laughs> you see, I had a new relationship with Northwest Airlines, but because I forgot about that relationship and the privileges that come with it, I was not living up to my elite status. <laughs> now, friends, when you got saved, man, you got a new relationship. You got a new relationship with Jesus himself. And obviously, uh, Jesus, uh, with him comes, comes much more. I mean, he, he, he's our all in all. He is our sufficiency. And there's so much more uh, that uh, is inherent in his person. There are blessings. Uh, forgive the term. There are benefits. Uh, there are privileges that we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet, if we're ignorant of that, or if we learn of it and forget like I did, then we don't live up to our elite status as saints. Now, two illustrations in the text. The first one deals with a new leader. Obviously, when we were raised with Christ the new man, it was so that the spirit of Jesus would move in. And uh, in that new union, we have a new leader. And obviously, if we have a new leader, we have inherent in that the blessing of new leadership, divine leadership, in fact. And so, in verse 15 and following, we're going to see the first illustration. We're on page 13 in your workbook. Uh, the implications of what we call the master-slave relationship. And because we have this new leader, we have a new source of leadership. We have a divine personal guide. Look, there's no other religion that has the founder moving right into the hearts of the followers. 
I was talking to a kid from Burma. Uh, he uh, was one of the uh, very few that had enough money to get out of the country and go to a university elsewhere. He was in university at Singapore, and we were flying from Singapore back to Yangon. Uh, Buddhist background, brilliant kid. We're sitting there, we're talking for a couple of hours. Then the meal came, and then uh, as he was finishing up, he started asking more questions. And when I finally got to the fact that when you believe on Jesus, you receive eternal life, and that eternal life is not something. Eternal life is someone. <laughs> Jesus is called that eternal life, and that when you believe on him, he moves right into you. And this kid, it's kind of like he moved back in his seat, and his face uh, uh, just was, was changed, and he said, that's fantastic. <laughs> Friends, it is. We get so used to it, <laughs> but it's fantastic truth. God moves in. And friends, when God moves in, you got a new leader. And so we have a divine, personal guide. The Holy Spirit of Jesus has moved in. Now, there is, therefore, a subjective leading or guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me hasten to say that that will always work within the boundaries of the objective truth of the written word. The Holy Spirit authored this book. Holy men of God spake because they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And he will never subjectively lead us contrary to what is written in this book. It's always within those boundaries. But he leads. He says, this is the way. Walk in it. He wants us to know that still small voice as we talked about Sunday morning. And so he never leads us contrary to the word of God. He never leads us to compromise. He never leads us to sin. You notice in the next bullet there, the new leader liberates from flesh indulgence. The Holy Spirit never leads us to our flesh. He never leads us to cave in to our flesh so that the works of the flesh would be manifested. No, never, not once. Now look, when the works of the flesh are manifested in our lives, you can say what you want to about being spirit-filled, but you're not, and neither am I, at least not in those moments. In other words, we can all be a little schizophrenic. I get that. It's called walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And you can't do uh, both at the same time. Now, we can vacillate pretty quickly. But the fact of the matter is, to claim to be spirit-filled when the works of the flesh are being manifested, no, that is a deception. We need to understand that. This divine personal guide, this new leader liberates us from indwelling sin as a master and therefore from caving into the flesh, liberates us from flesh dependence. Now we saw last night that God wants us to know certain facts. We're saints. We're free to live saintly because Christ is the victory. He wants us to personalize it. I am a saint. I am free to live saintly because Christ is my victory so that we get to that third side of the triangle of the soul where you use your will to yield to the spirit of Jesus himself. All of that's available. But, as the next bullet says, even though you possess this amazing provision, this new elite status, <laughs> you can miss out on the benefits if you ignore the relationship. So verse 15 in the text says, What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid Another wrong conclusion. That twisted thinking misses out on the very leadership that it claims. You see, when you and I yield to the Holy Spirit's leadership and power, then we're under his leadership. We're under grace, spirit enablement, his leadership and power. 
And that means in those moments we're not under the law. That's what that means. You can't be under two leaders at the same time. And so we're not under the law. Why? Because the law, as good as it is, has no power to enable able us to obey. It doesn't keep us from sin. Only grace can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So to sin, shall we sin that, you know, because we're not under the law but under grace, means you miss out on grace. Because when you yield to that sin master, you're yielding to a master who's not even your authority anymore. You got severed from that guy as we just saw pictured again. So that doesn't make sense. Now, the illustration then picks up in verse 16. And there's two emphases here. First of all, you and I choose which master we serve. Verse 16, no you're not. You need to know this. Don't you know that to whom, now notice not to what, but to whom you yield, you present, it's the same word translated present in Romans 12, 1, your, uh, you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of indwelling sin, that old master unto death, you can choose that, or of obedience to that new master, so you access the righteous life of Jesus Christ. Now, top of the next page. Notice, the choice here is not whether or not we will serve. We all do. We all do. The only choice is who. But we do get that choice. We're not robots. You see, it's no longer a matter of forced slavery, as we talked about last night. Prior to salvation, your, your spirit, the core of your being, the real you prior to salvation was joined and shackled and chained to that sin master. So it was forced slavery. Everything we did in the unsaved condition was tainted by that relationship. Even the things that look good like good works were not good works, they're dead works, because they were joined to that part of us which is totally separated from God who is life. That's why they're dead works. It was all tainted. It was forced slavery. But we got severed from that sin master. Raised with Christ the new man. God's nature has been implanted into us. That new creation. And that's where the Holy Spirit has moved in to lead and empower from that center of our being. But he doesn't force us. This is not the same mode of operation as the old master. That's why I call the Holy Spirit the new leader instead of master. Yes, he's master and Lord, be it in his sovereign wisdom, he's chosen not to force that. Why? Because he wants a love relationship, folks. He wants that love response, that faith response, that trust to obey response. You see... It's a person who moved in, not a chip to make you a clone. A person to lead, and as we're going to see in a moment, to empower. But a person has moved in. And so this is not force. He wants us to follow. He wants us to love him, to follow him, to trust, to cooperate from the heart. And by the way, this choice is continual. This is not a once-for-all thing where it's all settled and done. Uh, it's continuing. In fact, the uh, verb tense uh, that uh, we see here is in the present tense. Um, let me see. Did I read? Yeah, verse uh, 16. Uh, that word present, yield, that is in the present tense. So in other words, that is a continuous matter. 
In other words, this is not a once-for-all second blessing. It is a repeated access, access of your first blessing. The Spirit of Jesus moved in. But you have to access him. You have to yield to him. You have to trust his leadership and power. And when you do, then he uh, empowers you. You experience Jesus. And so uh, we keep doing that. It's a repeated access of our first blessing. And so it's uh, different than what you would call second blessing theology. Now, there's two choices. There's the old master who's not our master anymore. He used to be. We were chained to him. He used to be our authority. That got severed. He no longer has authority. He asserts his power, tries to make us think he still does, but he has no more authority. No, uh, we were severed from him, raised with Christ the new man, and now joined to Jesus the new leader. But there's our choice. It's the old master of indwelling sin or the new leader of the indwelling Christ. And you know, when we yield to that sin master... It says there in verse 16, unto death, literally into death. In other words, that part of us that we got severed from, we're raised with Christ the new man, joined to Jesus, that old sin master is totally separated from God who is life. That's why when you yield to him, you're yielding to death. You're yielding to deathliness. You're yielding to that which is totally separated from the life of God. That's one side of it. The other side is the new leader. When you yield to him, you access the righteous one himself. There's a choice. One is death and its end result. The other is life. Some years ago, I was in Myanmar up in the town of Calais. I just read a news article today. It's a major uh, uh, bombing and uh, fighting going on right now in that civil war that's taking place. Uh, getting quite close to my dear friends over there uh, in that part of the world. They're still holding evangelistic meetings. They just saw 21 people saved last week right in the middle of a war. Unbelievable. Uh, but uh, uh, at any rate, lots going on in that part of the world. Well, we were there for a NET seminar. This is probably 20 years ago. Uh, Netcasters evangelistic training seminar, maybe 15 years ago. And uh, Mike Redick uh, was there with me. Some of you know him. Uh, and uh, all week long, we'd get there in the morning. You know, we'd have uh, uh, sessions all day long and uh, you got hundreds of people have come some have walked three days to get there and uh, amazing just amazing but at any rate they in the morning uh, these ladies would come and and uh, uh, they're so sweet and so helpful and and they hand us these bottles of water and I couldn't recognize the uh, the wording it was Burmese it wasn't even chin it was Burmese a lot of circles in that Burmese language and uh, but it was cellophane wrapped and you know uh, it's you know it's, it's hot over there and so uh, we uh, would have our water for the day and and uh, the last day Friday uh, they brought us the same bottle, looked the same, you know, and everything looked the same, same writing, same cellophane wrap, as it were. But I noticed when I opened mine and unscrewed the cap that the water was right at the brim. Usually it's about a half inch down, you know what I'm saying, in a water bottle. And I just remember in my mind thinking, well, that's weird. So I took two little sips and I thought, this doesn't taste the same. Now, Mike Reddick was trained as a chef, like big-time chef, you know, like Marriott Hilton kind of level chef. I said, Mike, this, this doesn't taste right. So he said, well, let me check mine out. So he opens it. <laughs> I noticed that his water was at the brim. He took one sip. Now, Mike knows his stuff. And immediately there was a terrified look <laughs> that came across his face. He said, oh, John, this is bad water. Now, within hours, we were having bad results. <laughs> and I will leave it at that. <laughs> Friends, when we yield to indwelling sin, 
We're drinking at the cistern of bad water. But when we yield to the indwelling Christ, we're at the fountain of living water. And so we have this choice. We have a choice. Then, in the text, Paul, under inspiration, letter B, starts making a case for choosing the right leader, the real leader, for choosing the spirit of Jesus. He gives four reasons. Number one, you've got a new relationship. <laughs> Verse 17, but God be thanked that although you were the servants of indwelling sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. In other words, you put your faith in Jesus, that salvation. And when that happened, there's a big-time relationship change. And verse 18 summarizes the first 14 verses that we looked at last night. Being or having been then made free from indwelling sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Remember, the old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed, cut, liberated, set free. And the new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed. Friends, we got severed from the old master. We got joined to Jesus. We have a new relationship. That is a fact. Second argument in his case. Not only do you have a new relationship, it makes sense to practice the new relationship. The next verse, I speak after the manner of men. In other words, we would say, humanly speaking, because of the infirmity or weakness of your flesh, top of page 15 here, for as you have yielded or presented your members, body parts, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield, present your body parts, servants to righteousness unto holiness. So now, see you got a new relationship, it makes sense to practice it. So now, live in the light, in the provision of your new relationship. And that so now yield, that yield, that present, that's imperative. It's a command, but friends, don't, when we think command, we think, oh, pressure. No, it's an invitation, it's an opportunity, it's a privilege. Since you have a new relationship, it makes sense to practice that new relationship. Because when we do... The words there, into holiness, you access the holy knife of Jesus himself. So, first argument, you have a new relationship. Second argument, makes sense to practice it. Third argument, the way is simple. Because it's the way of faith, which is not a work. Present your bodily members to the right master for the right purpose. In other words, when you present yourself to the spirit of Jesus, you're depending, you're depending, you're trusting that his leadership is best and that his power is sufficient. And so it's describing faith. As we noted last night, this old sin master, this pull that we feel inside of us when there's a trigger of temptation, that is not sins, it's that entity in us urging us to commit sins. And so... The reality is, indwelling sin cannot commit sins without a body. <laughs> and thus the turf of the soul body, the flesh. Indwelling sin cannot commit envying and jealousy and lust and murder and all that stuff without body parts. And so the whole point is present your bodily members to the indwelling Christ. And when you do, you access his very righteousness. A while back, oh, a couple of years ago, Actually, it was uh, oh, it's been a while ago now. I decided to get uh, a carry license, 
I'm not carrying at the moment, but I'm assuming what you guys are. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, so I got the training, and I remember watching this video. It was amazing because here's this. It was a story about a, a real-life story that hadn't happened that uh, long before that of uh, a barbershop setting where there's a couple of barbers, a couple of guys in the chair, and other people sitting waiting. And the two guys came in with the... Uh, uh, mask on. This was pre-COVID. And, uh, <laughs> and they came in uh, with their mask on. And at gunpoint to the head barber, uh, one guy did that. And the other guy was going to each person saying, give me your wallet. Well, then he's going to the guys in the chairs, you know, with the cape on, you know, and they're getting their hair cut. You know, give me your wallet. Well, the last guy, he had a gun right here. And, of course, the towel was over him. And he said, oh. My coat's hanging over there on that rack. My wallet's in the coat. So the gunman turns around, and when he did, he did what he needed to do. Now, that's the difference between a bad guy with a gun and a good guy with a gun. Showing that the issue's not the gun. The issue is in whose hands the gun is. And in the same way, our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our hands, our feet, that's like the gun. You put it into the hands of indwelling sin, it's a bad deal. You put it in, into the hands of the indwelling Christ, it's a good deal. See, there it is. There it is. The whole point is, so now yield your members, your bodily members, your body parts as servants. to Yield them to Jesus to be used for righteousness. You know, that implies that there's no automatic or actual need to have lapses into unholiness. See, what happens is before you and I ever sin, we give our, ourselves permission to. In the thought process, that's what happens prior to actually doing it in most cases. And uh, that's not necessary is the point. So the way is simple. It's faith. Yield to the right leader. <laughs> and when you do, the power of Jesus is given to our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our hands, our feet to do what is right. We access the righteous one himself. So the case that he's building for the right, making the right choice is you have a new relationship. The, it makes sense to practice that new relationship. The way is simple. It's faith. Yield to, trust in the right leader. And then number four, the result is great. And we see this based on the contrast that's given between two positions and two practices. We'll just walk through this part very quickly. Verse 20, for when you were the servants of indwelling sin, you were free from righteousness. Talking about the unsaved condition. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? For into those things is death. In other words, that's no fruit. But in contrast, but now... See, now that you're saved, having been made free, we saw that last night, severed from indwelling sin, uh, Romans 6, 7, free from indwelling sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto, literally into holiness, the Holy One, and you access His eternal life, and that's when the fruit of the Spirit is born in and through you. Top of the next page, four, the wages of the master of indwelling sin is death. It's that part of you that exists apart from the life of God. It's deathly. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Now, obviously, the whole package deals with the whole big picture of salvation, and so we use that. But in the flow of what's happening here, it's dealing with sanctification. When you yield to the wrong master, you're yielding to that part of you that's deathly. It's that part of you that's, that's severed, uh, uh, totally separated from the life of God. But the life of God moved in as that gift when you got saved and as you yield to him, that life is manifested in your personality. So you have a new leader. Therefore, there's new leadership. But you got to make the choice. And the case for the right choice is, look, you got this new relationship. It makes sense to practice it. The way is simple. It's just faith. Yield in. Trust in this new leader. And the results are great. Now, friends, it is time for God's people, for all of us, to stop indulging the flesh. It is time to stop giving ourselves permission for secret lusts. It is time to stop giving ourselves permission for pampered grievances. It's a nice way of saying bitterness and resentment. It's time that we stop indulging ourselves and giving ourselves permission to blow our stack and let wicked words fly and wounding words cut and hurt. Friends, if we really believe what the text says, there's no need for all of that stuff. It's time to stop giving ourselves permission for, for all this junk. It's time for revival. We've got a new leader. So choose the leadership of the spirit of Jesus. And when you do, the victorious life of the indwelling Christ delivers you from indwelling sin and therefore flesh indulgence. So there's that first benefit. Wow, we have a new leader, a divine guy. Trust him. Choose him. Therefore, love him. And friends, when you do, he animates your personality with his life. That brings us to the second benefit. Not only is there a new leader, there's a new enabler. See, they're connected here. It's very powerful. This brings us to chapter 7, the first six verses. This new leader, the spirit of Jesus, is also himself the new enabler. But there's a, an illustration here that's emphasizing this different aspect. It's going beyond leadership to power. And here, it's the implications of the husband-wife relationship. That's the illustration that is going to be used. And because we have this new enabler, this new power source, obviously, we have a whole new source of power to obey the divine leader. In our world, uh, manufacturers of batteries try to choose names to make it sound like they last forever, <laughs> like Duracell. <laughs> but they run out. But the eternal life is the true Duracell, the enduring cell, the enduring one himself. Friends, this is who moved in. This leader is also the eternal life of God himself. This is not the absence of our weakness, because apart from him, we go down fast. It is the presence of his strength. Yes, we have this regenerated spirit, but you've got to access the Holy Spirit. 
that connects you with that divine flow of life from the throne. Remember a year ago, no, two years ago when I was here over in the gym uh, during COVID, uh, that life streaming truth, that flow of life, Christ is living, there is a constant flow. Unbelief blocks the manifestation of the flow, though it's there, and faith opens it up. <laughs> so that that flow of Jesus' life from the throne is manifested in our personalities. And so the new enabler liberates from flesh dependence, just as the new leader liberates from flesh indulgence and caving into the mastership of that old sin master, this new enabler liberates from flesh dependence. We've got a new power source. And so our illustration is fascinating. In the original language, you have the word or uh, that uh, is here in the beginning of chapter 7. So this is it's a different illustration. It's a different truth that's being emphasized and it's going to teach us that because of uh, uh, this new enabler, we have this new power source. So let's go beyond leadership to power. So I'll pick it up here uh, in the text in verse 1. Know ye not, don't you know, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband be dead or dies, she is loosed or released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress, but if her husband be dead or dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, you notice in the note there, the reason here a woman is mentioned and not a man is because of the illustration. The believer is a part of the bride who's married to Christ, the husband. Now, let's get to the implications, which is in verses 4, 5, and 6. This new relationship with a new husband provides a new purpose. Going to the top of page 17, in the next verse, verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. So this is different than the master-slave. That was indwelling sin. Here it's law. You become dead to the law, separated from the law by the body of Christ, because you got placed into Jesus. That ye should be married. See, new relationship, new union. To another, I love this verse, even to him who was raised from the dead. And here's your purpose. For the purpose that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You see, the issue in this illustration is the power to bear fruit. It's enablement. Now, the law is personified here as the husband. Now, this is interesting because in the master-slave, we were connected to indwelling sin. So we had to deal with that issue. But this is... The husband is the law. Ah, this is a different truth than what you see at the end of Romans chapter 6. We need to understand that. You see, the law is holy and just and good, but it has no power to enable us to do right. It is not a power source to enable us to produce fruit. It is a grid to show us when we blow it. But it's not a power source. Okay, so we get that. There's a new purpose here. So we're moving beyond the new leader emphasis to the new power. And both that new leader and new power source is Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. Now there's the power to bear fruit to God instead of fruit to death, which is no fruit at all. And now there's that power to bear that fruit to God, that holiness, which is the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the Holy. 
Holy Spirit. Love and all of its manifestation. Now all of that is possible because when you yield to Jesus, the right leader, he's also the right power source. And when you access Jesus so that as I live, yet not I, but Christ lives, he is love. And when there's love, there's joy and there's peace and there's long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. All at the same time, you're accessing the fruit of Jesus. You're accessing Jesus, and therefore there's power to bear fruit. Amazing. Wonderful. Amazing plan of God. And then we have another implica uh, implication here that uh, is very important for us to, uh, to catch. Not only is this new relationship with the new husband providing a new purpose, the new relationship with this new husband provides a new power source. Now, verses 5 and 6 are the pivot in the whole uh, picture of Romans 6 through 8. This is the pivotal moment in the text. Verse 5, for when we were, see past tense, in the flesh. Flesh is personified there because the definite article is inserted prior to it, emphasizing its personification so when we were in the flesh, that means when we were unsaved, the motions of sins which were aroused by the law did work in our members to bring forth that fruit unto death. But now, there's the turning point in the text, but now we have been delivered from the law that being dead... Uh, wherein, or having died to what we were held, that we, here's your purpose, should serve in the newness of the power of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the power of the letter. So, we're in Romans 6 through 8, and this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. We're halfway through these three chapters, and this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. Fascinating. Now, he's implied three times in Romans 6 in the word grace because grace is supernatural enablement through the Holy Spirit to do God's will. It's spirit enablement. He's implied there three times. This is the first explicit mention of the Holy Spirit in the text that we're dealing with in this series. But when it says that we should serve in the newness of spirit, the definite article, that's the word the, is absent. So when it's inserted, it emphasizes the person being uh, named. When it's absent, it emphasizes the power or the quality of that person. Now, in the English language, it's translated always being inserted because it would sound funny without it. So it's rightly rendered. I get that. But we believe in verbal inspiration, do we not? Okay, so there's a reason. This is going to be really important when we get to Romans 8. There's a reason why sometimes it's there and sometimes it's absent and sometimes back and forth in the very same context. Because in the, some statements it's emphasizing the person or the personification. In other cases it's emphasizing the quality of that person name. And so based on the grammar it's saying that we should serve in the power, the quality of the spirit and not in the oldness of the power or the quality of the letter of the law without the spirit. You see, the point is that the new husband, Jesus by his spirit, is the new power source, not the former husband, the law, as good as the law is. Therefore, the new way is spirit dependence over the old way of flesh dependence. The issue in the second illustration is not just leadership, it's power to bear fruit. And if you keep looking to the law as your husband, 
and the law has no power to enable you. Whatever you focus on, you depend on. I said it once, I'll say it tonight, I'll say it again tomorrow. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it's important that we get this. Looking unto Jesus, right focus, the author of faith, right dependence. Looking unto law, wrong focus. Now you're depending on the law, and the law has no power to enable you, and you default, default back to flesh dependence, and that's why we struggle unnecessarily. Because, as it says at the bottom of the page, the, the law has no power to enable us to obey, no power to enable us to bear fruit. Uh, years ago, well, a couple decades ago, I was in the Philippines. This is another <laughs> time with Mike Reddick. Uh, we had some great times in those days. Uh, so I was in this uh, meeting in the Philippines, and uh, I uh, had my trusty little battery-operated shaver, you know, uh, with me, and uh, it, uh, it busted. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm going to have to use the straight edge. Well, that's no problem. I, I don't think I had one. So uh, one of the Filipinos uh, brought me this little gizmo that they had, and uh, it didn't have a battery. You just had to press a button with your thumb. And when you did, it, it, all these gears went or whatever. And then it spun this thing and you shaved <laughs> while you're going like this. It was really cool until I tried it. I could not make my thumb go fast enough <laughs> to get enough speed to cut anything. <laughs> and so it wasn't working. Beautiful picture of the flesh. We can work, 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 work. <laughs> and it's just not, it's not happening. And so finally we got to the a store where I could get a, 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 a battery-operated shaver. And sure enough, I've, I st still use it when uh, I travel uh, overseas. I've had it now for 20 years, that same one. You see, friends, we can exert a lot of energy. I know it's just a thumb, but <laughs> we can exert a lot of energy in the flesh attempts. But it, it, it is, it's not enough power to get the job done. But the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the eternal life, the Duracell himself, oh, there's power immediately. And that power never runs out. And so at the bottom of the page, the whole point, the end of that verse, is that we should serve the new leader in the newness and quality of the Spirit, who is the new enabler. So that brings us to page 15 as we wrap this up. Friends, when we got saved, we got a new relationship. That involves a new leader and a new power source. Therefore, we've got to choose the leadership of the Spirit of Jesus for deliverance from sin, flesh indulgence, and choose the power of the Spirit of Jesus for deliverance from self or flesh dependence. What or who is your leader? What or who is your power source? Friends, are we really yielding to the Spirit? I mean, we do at moments when we want to. But what about all those other times when we give ourselves permission to yield to that guy who is not our authority anymore and dwell in sin? Because every time we do, it's manifest. It's obvious. You can't hide it. The works of the flesh are obvious is what it says in Galatians. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's moral sins. Idolatry, witchcraft, that's religious sins. 
Then there's a whole like ten words of so, uh, a relationship sins, jealousy, strife, envying. Wow. Then it ends with social sins. You see, when the works of the flesh are manifest in our lives, fruit of the Spirit's not there, and the fruit of the Spirit, when the fruit of the Spirit is not there, we're not yielding to the right leader. Because when you do, the fruit of the Spirit's there. And so we need to ask ourselves, man, who really am I following? Now, I recognize, again, we can vacillate between the two leaders, but that's just it. With all of this provision, with a power source that is eternal, with a leader who has perfect wisdom, an enabler who has inexhaustible power, why in the world are we regularly giving ourselves permission to go down the wrong road? We tolerate far too much flesh, especially, I fear, in our American pampered culture. We're just easy on ourselves. Now, friends... God wants us to choose the real leader. He wants us to love him, to choose him, to trust him. And when we do, he enables us. And so as we look at the takeaways, when we yield to the spirit, we're being spiritual. That's what spirituality is. It's not conformity to a ritual. It's being rightly related to the spirit you see, for many, spirituality is if, you know, you wear the right color shirt and you hold your Bible like this <laughs> and you don't do these things and you do do these things and uh, you do all that right, buddy. Hey, you're spiritual. Look, an unsaved moralist can imitate all of that. And some of it might be very good stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, simply saying that doesn't make you spiritual because you can actually do all that in the power of the flesh. It's the imitation. It's the form of godliness that denies the power thereof. Wow. I don't know how I missed it as a kid because my dad understood all this, but I was all about the form, and tragically, there was very little power. Now, once in a while, I accidentally happened into faith through moments of desperation. <laughs> but outside of those desperate moments of running to Jesus, it was all about me. And you know, I often wondered, why didn't I get this sooner? Why didn't I, why didn't I, I mean, my dad got this. I even have notes in my Bible that say the right words as my dad preached. And they went, ooh, right over my head. Even though I wrote them in the margin of my Bible. But you know, the truth of the matter is, as long as we are content with ourselves and our imitations who needs God? That's a terrible deception. But that's the blindness of self-righteousness. Friend, who's your leader? Really? Who's your power source? The second bullet there on the takeaways. Being rightly related to the Spirit is a matter of dependence on the Spirit's leadership and power one step at a time. In other words, there's a difference between spirituality and maturity. Maturity takes time. As you walk by faith, you grow. See, that takes time. In grace, 
But you can be spiritual right away once you're saved. A brand new Christian can start yielding to the Spirit. And guess what? He's filled with the Spirit when he does, which means he's spiritual. It doesn't mean he's mature. It takes the walk of faith, and over time you grow in grace. That's where maturity comes from. So spirituality and maturity are not the same. Revival and maturity are not the same. Revival can happen in a moment, but it doesn't make you spiritually mature overnight. It just should get you back on the right road where you're walking by faith again so you can grow in grace again and all the hindrances to that flow of, of divine life from the throne are now taken away so that you can start maturing again. Ah, so that's how that works. You see, when we make spirituality conformity to a certain set of rituals, we're forcing a one-size-fits-all. But nobody's at the same spot in their growth and grace. Nobody's at the same spot on their journey. A one-size-fits-all won't work. You force people into perpetual immaturity. But as you walk by faith, you grow in grace. And by the way, the Holy Spirit always leads us right. He never leads us wrongly. He always leads us in a way uh, that uh, obviously the Father is pleased. And so the Holy Spirit, next bullet, leads us to what I call the plateau of God's absolutes. The absolutes are based on the written word. In other words, the black and white truth, the things that we don't debate about. You know why we don't debate about certain things? Is they're that clear. <laughs> Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, you, know, uh, you can try to debate that, but not if you have a heart for what's obvious. In other words, if you have a heart for the authority of the Bible, you don't debate that. Flee fornication. Any kind of illicit sexual sin. See, that's clear. See, the black and whites are clear, and obviously the Holy Spirit leads us to obey that. But more than that, the Holy Spirit leads us, this is why I use the imagery of a plateau, that's the black and whites, anything less than that is compromised, but on that plateau, there's going to be some variation of how far you are from the cliff, if I can put it that way, and the Holy Spirit leads us to where we need to be on the plateau. So the black and whites, that's based on the written word. The various applications of those black and whites on that plateau within those boundaries of the written word, that's going to vary based on the subjective leading of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit knows you well, better than you do. And he knows how far from the edge of that plateau you need to be to keep from going off. And he'll even lead us to have some guardrails. Can I use an old word? Standards? Now, let's talk about this for just a second. If you leave the Holy Spirit out of this and your dependence is all on the standards, you're in trouble because life will inevitably take you out of the monastery of your walls of standards. And when that happens, you're in trouble. But when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and it leads you to a standard, now your dependence is not on the standards, it's on him. See, there's the difference. So wherever you are in life, he's there. You're trusting him. And so the standard is because he led you. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads uh, men, uh, for example, in different ways in what they do with technology and, and uh, uh, filters and, and covenant eyes, all these things. Look, each one needs to obey the Holy Spirit. Why? The Holy Spirit knows us. And whether it's that issue or any other issue, the Holy Spirit knows where we need to draw a line to protect us, or in some cases, the issue is not us. It's to protect those that we have influence on from stumbling. 
And by the way, if the Holy Spirit leads you to a conviction and a standard that nobody else has, it's okay. It's his personal love and care for you. But the reality is he's going to lead people a little bit differently within those boundaries. See, the plateau, that's black and white. But up there, it may be a little bit ap a different application for this one and this one. None of it will violate the black and whites when the Holy Spirit leads because he's the Holy Spirit. But you can't make your application universal for everybody else. You can't say, well, if i got to be miserable, everybody else has got to be miserable. <laughs> if I have to draw this line, everybody else has got to draw this line. No, you've got to let the Holy Spirit lead in that way. Now, some people say, well, I'm just obeying the Holy Spirit, and, and, and they're not even on the plateau. They're way down the side. They're not obeying the Holy Spirit. They're deceived. So you can say it this way. Compromisers make absolutes variable. You can't do that. The black and white you cannot budge on. But lawizers, or if we stop playing with words, legalists, make variables absolute. And no longer do you have a plateau, you have a pinnacle with that person on the top with the halo. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, uh, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. See, the gospel of saints is not legalism or license. It's a life, a person. His name is Jesus. And see, the spirit of Jesus brings that leadership and power right into us. And so liberty, Christian liberty, is the way of faith in the real leader and the real power source. Not a focus on rules, not a focus on no rules, a focus on the ruler, the leader, the power source. And ultimately, that new relationship provides that new leadership and enablement, and that is the provision for new living. I was teaching on this in a college module at a school in Illinois. And uh, a couple was there from uh, an Indian reservation from New York State. And the wife raised her hand. She had a puzzled, quizzical look on her face as we dealt with all this provision. And she said, you mean we don't have to sin? See, we want to give ourselves permission to do that. And the provision is such that, I said to her, well, if words have meaning and if language has integrity, the provision that is stated in the text, not just here but in other passages, the provision is that good. His name is Jesus. A tear began to come down that cheek. And she recognized, wait a second, I'm ignoring all of this provision. See, you've got the elite status, you're a saint. And it's not that we're great, it's that we're connected to the great one. And he's the leader, and he's the enabler. Who is your leader? Who are you choosing? Let's bow our heads for prayer.